This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. If you got your Bible ready, go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, if you would. We're coming down to the end of our study through the book of Galatians, entitled Only Jesus. We've been uh, taking a look at verse-by-verse study of the book of Ephesians this year. Uh, if you missed any of the message, you can always get caught up at our website at whoecala.org. Uh, subscribe to our podcast, download our smartphone app, do what you got to do to get caught up. The last uh, couple of weeks, we've been taking a look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is where we find ourselves tonight. Anybody else tonight? Bible, bulletin, or pen? All right, great job, ushers. Uh, Ephesians chapter five, uh, we're gonna start in verse number uh, 22 and uh, 23. I'm sorry, Galatians five. I was like, Ephesians five, I'm not seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit there. Uh, It's not there. Uh, Galatians chapter five, uh, verse number 22 and 23. We'll we'll just back up uh, to verse number 16 and just kind of give context uh, tonight. Uh, Galatians chapter five, verse number 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Circle, star that, underline it in your Bible, make note of it, do something to draw attention to it because here's the thing. You want the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. You do, I promise you. It's the good stuff of life. But you cannot have it while you walk in the spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, while you walk in the flesh. You can only have it by walking in the spirit. And so what you want out of life is the fruit of the Spirit. The only way to do it is to not walk in the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. And so this is kind of the preemptor. This is the caveat for uh, having the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Verse number 17, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. If you be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before as I've told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. As we take a look at over the last couple of weeks, the works of the flesh are, are individual sins that one could commit or individual lifestyles that one could live and no one person probably personifies all of the works of the flesh in one uh, life. That would be a terrible, despicable, filthy, sin-filled life if that were the case. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, while the works of the flesh are plural, the fruit of the Spirit is singular, meaning the fruit of the Spirit is one item made up of multiple individual parts. And so if you want to have the fruit of the Spirit, which comes from walking in the Spirit, obeying God's commandments in His Word, allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work in you and through you. If you want that, it's a package deal that all comes together. You can't say, oh, I've got love, but I don't have a lot of joy, or I've got a lot of joy, but peace isn't my thing. Uh, I'm not a very long-suffering person, but I am incredibly kind. It all goes together. It all works together. 
And if we look at this list, again, it's very easy for some people to say, well, I'm not very good at love, or I'm not very good at uh, being long-suffering, or I'm not very good at, uh, at being self-controlled or temperate. Uh, and we begin to make excuses why this isn't us. That's because this list is not a fruit of our flesh. It's a fruit of the Spirit with the capital S. That means the Holy Spirit produces these inside us. If you take a look at the totality of these nine individual character traits or attributes or virtues, if you want to call them that, these are all the personification of one person, Jesus Christ. So really having and living and exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit really just comes down to just being like Jesus. And so as we look at this list, I love checklists in the Bible. I can take a look and see how am I doing in this area? How is my family? Is my family a family of love? Is it a family of joy? Is it a family of peace? Is it a family where we're long-suffering with one another? I can go down the list and check them off and see how I'm doing. Is my marriage a marriage of love? Is, is there joy in my marriage? Is there peace in my marriage? Or is there drama and strife? And I can look at it from that perspective as well. But the most helpful checklist is me. How am I doing with my love? How am I doing in the area of joy? How am I at living peaceably or having the peace of God in my life? And when we turn the reflection inward and begin to look at ourselves, that's where we begin to see the change that needs to take place in our own life, the shortcomings that we have, and that's when we need to look to Christ for his help and for his example. Uh, I, I highly encourage you to read your Bible every single day. It'll help you. Uh, I promise you that. We need to become students and scholars of the Bible. We need to know this book forwards and backwards like no other book that we know in the entire world. It really is our guidebook for life. But sometimes if you don't have a good Bible reading schedule, I'd challenge you to read through the Gospels and just watch Jesus' life. Why does he say that to that lady over there? Why did he see this person with this need and then tell this particular story? What was he getting at there? What are some ways that Jesus showed love to other people? What's the time where Jesus had joy with others? What's the time where Jesus acted in a, what we would say, a meek manner? He had kept his strength under control. How was Jesus self-controlled or temperate? We began to look at how Jesus personifies this fruit of the Spirit that you and I need to personify in our own lives as well. We have a solid example to follow. Last week, we took a look at two of these. Uh, the first one was love. And we saw that this is not a feeling or emotion. It's a lifestyle that we, use, we live. It's an active lifestyle that we choose to live Love is not an emotion that comes and goes. Love is not a feeling that I have. Love is a choice that I make to put other people ahead of myself. You have a need, I want to meet it. That shows love. You're struggling in an area, I want to do what I can to lighten your burden. That shows love. You feel something, I want to feel it with you because I want you to know that you're not alone. That shows love. And we talked about how last week the opposite of love is not hate because hate, again, constitutes emotions and that would mean that love was an emotion. The opposite of love is selfishness. It's all about me. I don't, I don't care what you got going on. It's about me. And, and love turns that inside out and says, no, it's all about you. It's all about God first. It's all about others next. And Jesus himself even said that on all of this, hang all the law and the prophets, the entire Bible could be summed up in two commandments, love God and love other people the way that you love yourself. Do that and everything else will take care of itself. And so love, I don't think it's any um, coincidence that love is the first of the uh, virtues that are listed here in the fruit of the Spirit. Next, you see joy. Uh, joy is a feeling of happiness based upon spiritual realities. It's not a, a feeling or emotion that we have that will pass. It's recognizing who we are and who God is and choosing to have joy. 
because of what God's given us and based on spiritual realities, not material realities. This is why as we took a look at on Sunday morning that folks can be facing a difficult medical prognosis yet still have joy. People can be in the midst of financial ruin and still have joy. Someone can be laid off from a job and still have joy. Someone can be uncertain about the future yet still have joy because it's not based on my material circumstances or my physical circumstances. It's based upon my spiritual reality. I am a child of God. I am forgiven of my sin. After this world is over, I get to live with the King of kings and Lord of lords for all of eternity and rejoice and worship at the throne of Jesus Christ. Life's good. That is joy. Now again, these are things, not things that we can work up ourselves. Uh, these are not things that we just need to try harder or buckle down and get it done. Uh, we can't force ourselves to, to feel things. We need the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to bring these things out. And if I'm not feeding my flesh, I'm choosing to die to my flesh, but choosing to be alive to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, the Bible says these things come out. Again, false teaching when it comes to the Holy Spirit it says, well, if the Holy Spirit's at work in you, then you're gonna speak in tongues. If the Holy Spirit's at work in you, you're gonna be able to touch people and have them healed. If the Holy Spirit's at work in you, you're gonna be able to perform miracles. Uh, you're gonna be able to do signs, miracles, and wonders if the Holy Spirit's at work in you. That's not the reality. The reality is if the Holy Spirit's at work in you, love's gonna come out, not a language that nobody can understand. If the Holy Spirit's at work in you, then joy's gonna come out not physical healing from some physical ailments. So when the Holy Spirit's at work inside of us, another thing that's gonna come out is going to be peace. Now, the uh, dictionary definition of peace is harmonious relations and freedom from disputes, especially during the absence of war. That means that people aren't fighting and everybody's getting along. That's the dictionary definition of it. But looking at it from a spiritual perspective, it's the tranquility of mind that comes from being right with God. I know that everything's good between me and God and I have peace. It's been said before that there's no softer pillow than that of a clear conscience. I know everything's right between me and God. I know everything's right between me and every person that I know on planet Earth. And because of that, I have peace. Now, again, many homes, many people are not people of peace. There's constant strife and drama, arguing, fighting, Many people don't have peace with God. There's only one way that you can have peace with God. Peace with God is the, the first type of peace that it speaks of in this case here. First of all, there's peace with God. This is achieved at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because peace with God is only available to those that are children of God, the only way to truly have peace is to know God. I don't know if you've ever seen these uh, uh, bumper stickers that say, uh, know God, K-N-O-W, God, K-N-O-W, peace, no God, no peace. And then at the bottom of that, it says N-O, God, N-O, peace, no God, no peace, uh, that way. Uh, I guess that's uh, understandable. In this case here, I've got a message coming up in a couple of weeks, no Jesus, no suffering. Uh, and so if you know Jesus, you'll know suffering the way that Jesus knew suffering. But the only way that you can know true peace is by being a child of God, knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven, knowing for sure that you're saved. The fruit of the Spirit Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and temperance and meekness and goodness and faith and all those things are only available to those who are children of God. It's not a fruit of the Spirit that we can, uh, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. It's not something that we can do on our own. And so if you wanna have peace with God, it's only available to those that are saved and it's only available at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why for us here at Who We Call a Baptist Church, if there's 52 weeks in a year, 52 times out of the year, you'll hear the gospel preached from this pulpit. We're, there's never gonna be a Sunday morning that we don't talk about your standing before God 
your sinful condition and the only way that you can make it right. I would hate for somebody to come in on a Sunday morning and not be saved and not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and, and leave thinking to themselves they just need to try harder and pray more. I want them to know where they stand before God. And there's been people before who have left our church and not came back because we talk about uh, the cross every weekend. Every, every weekend we talk about man standing in eternity. And hey, look, if that, that makes you uncomfortable, this isn't a good place to be for you. But the message of the cross is an uncomfortable message. But it's the only way where we can find true lasting peace. I don't want to give people false assurance or false peace. Hey, come to church, read the Bible, pray more, you'll be okay. No, 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 you can do all those things and you'll never find peace if you don't find Jesus. And so again, the message of our church, the mission of our church is the gospel. We don't get to choose our own mission. Jesus gave it to us, go, win, baptize, teach. It's called the Great Commission. If we don't do that, nobody else will. And we do that not because, only because we're commanded. If that were the only reason to do it, that's reason enough to obey the Lord. But secondly, this is the only place where people can find love. It's the, only, the cross is the only place where people can find joy. The cross is the only place where people can find peace. That's why I love the song that Didi sang, the beautiful, terrible cross. The cross is beautiful when you look at it because it purchased my redemption. The cross is beautiful because it set me free. The cross is beautiful because it brings me hope. The cross is beautiful because it displays God's love. The cross is beautiful because I stake my entire life on that cross. Everything that I have, I've poured into that. It's terrible because you look at the worst death that a human being could live and it was, was, was taken on that cross. Uh, the worst life, the worst death someone could face was taken on that cross publicly humiliated and executed on a terrible, terrible instrument of death. But you look at that and there's such a dichotomy there. It's so beautiful to be terrible at the same time because my freedom was purchased there and I have peace with God because of the cross. Man, I'm thankful for that. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter five, verse number one, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only avenue for peace with God, Jesus, that's it. Again, people have said for, for centuries, well, all paths lead to the same place, not according to Jesus. Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. John chapter 14, verse number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so I have talked with hundreds of people over the course of my lifetime about their individual religious views. And a lot of people, well, all roads lead to the same place, not according to Jesus. Well, all of this can be right. Well, no, not according to Jesus. Somebody has to be wrong. And so we have to bring people to the place where they can find true lasting peace. For me, uh, every now and then we'll get a phone call. Somebody finds us on the internet. They want marriage counseling and things like that. And uh, I never provide any long-term uh, marriage counseling for any couple uh, that's not a part of our church. And I'll, I'll meet with anybody once. And my purpose of meeting with them once is to point them to a source of lasting peace. I'm gonna get together with you. I wanna share the gospel with you. And if you wanna to, to accept or reject, totally up to you. If you wanna make this your church home, I'm willing to be your pastor but I don't provide long-term marriage counseling for anybody. Why? Because there's only one source of peace for your marriage. And it's knowing first and foremost that you have peace with God. Secondly, a recurring theme throughout all of the New Testament is peace within the church. 
I'm thankful that in the history of who we call a Baptist church, we've had very little to no drama whatsoever. If we've had drama that's flared up, it's lasted about 24 to 48 hours and it's been gone uh, because we have a zero tolerance policy on drama here. Uh, if you've if you got a problem, we're going to get it solved, get it situated, uh, and you're going to be happy about it and you're going to serve Jesus alongside everybody else. And if you're not willing to do that, you need to find another church to go to. Simple as that. And people look at that and they go, well, that's really harsh. That's a, that's a hard line view to have. No, that's a biblical view to have. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18, if you've got a problem with somebody, go to them and talk about it. If they won't hear you, bring somebody else with them. If they're not willing to hear them and willing to make it right, get them out of the church and just move on. And we have adopted that, and it's worked really, really well for us. And, and because of that, I think people can sense it when they come in here that we're just family here. Uh, there's nobody that doesn't like anybody in this church, and if there is, I don't know about it, and if I do find out about it, we'll, we'll get together tomorrow and talk about it because it's, it's just a zero-tolerance policy. There's a zero-tolerance policy on gossip here. Uh, you start talking about somebody else, I'm going to stop you where you're at, and we're going to go talk to that person about it and sort it out. Simple as that. We're just not going to have it. And because of that, we have experienced God's peace within the church uh, as well. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse number 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. One body, one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. The message of the New Testament is the church is unified. Nothing more grieving to see than a church with divisions and splits and people who don't like anybody. And uh, our church is also an anti-click church. If I find out of any clicks in our church, I'll be happy to bust those up for you too. Um, and so uh, we just don't do that, you know? And uh, we were just a one big family. There's a, a couple who attended here for a while. They were an um, older couple. And I, and I say that because they were probably um, later on in life. I don't want to say an age because everybody's like, well, I'm really close to that number. And you just said that I was old. I don't want to call anybody old. But they were older. And they said, we, we feel really uncomfortable in this church because we're the oldest people in the church. And I said, first of all, somebody has to be the oldest people in the church. It just has to be that way. Somebody's got to do it, you know? And for the longest time, my wife and I were some of the oldest people in the church, and I'm thankful that that's no longer the case. Uh, but um, but uh, somebody's got to be the oldest people in the church, so why can't it be you? Secondly, I said, I think you bring a, a unique dynamic to our church in the fact that you're somebody who's been faithful to Jesus for decades. I mean, you've been, you've been faithful to Jesus before I was alive, and that's, that's helpful for our church to see. Uh, and, and I said, has anybody made you feel awkward? They go, no, that's the weird part about all of it is we feel like family here. We feel like we fit in here, but we just feel awkward. And I said, well, are you putting that on yourself? And they said, yeah, probably a little bit. And I said, okay. I said, I would just encourage you to jump in both feet. Uh, and if this is not the right place for you, you need to find where God wants you to be. As simple as that. But I love the fact that they said, we put it on ourselves. We didn't feel that way. Everybody made us feel welcome. Everybody made us feel like family. That's unity in the church. Um, you know, we've, we've never had a, um, you know, uh, military potluck get together. Why? Because we don't want to exclude people in the church because it's not what the church is. Church is unity. Uh, we're never going to have like a Filipino fellowship where only Filipino people can go to this fellowship. We just don't do that. Everybody likes Olympia. Bring it, okay? Um, just, now, again, if other churches do that, that's fine. Or if there's a group of people that don't speak English at all, we should have a Bible study for them and, and allow them to... to to grow in the word together that way. I'm talking about creating division where there is no division. That's just foolish uh, because we, that creates fractures in the church and our whole goal of the church is to bring unity, one big family. Uh, and it's been, it was easy to have one big family when we hit, were, you know, 30 people meeting next door where our children's ministry is right now. Uh, but as our church has grown by the grace of God, we've been still felt just like one big family. Uh, and it's one of those things that if you're, if you're here for a few weeks, you begin to get to know everybody. If you're here for six months and you're faithful, you'll know everybody in the church. You'll be able to pick out a first-time guest uh, really easily around here because 
we've had something special that God's done here of unity. And as the pastor, I want to say this before I move on. I am willing to do whatever it takes to maintain a spirit of unity in our church because that's a biblical requirement for the church. As the pastor of this church, it's my responsibility to maintain that spirit of unity. And if we can't, then the problem needs to be taken care of. And if the problem can't be taken care of, the problem needs to leave. Again, not being ugly, not being mean. That's just the the Bible. That's how the Bible uh, puts it. God places such a high priority on peace within the church. Next, we can also have peace with others. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 14, follow peace with all men and holiness with which out no man shall see the Lord. When we are people, antagonistic, strife-sowing, angry people, here's what Hebrews says. People won't see the Lord. Think about this. You, if you're not a person of peace, you, if you're not walking in the fruit of the Spirit, you Love you, and I'm going to say it. You are hurting the cause of Christ. That's a heavy charge. I know it is. Hebrews chapter 12, though, says, follow peace, because without it, people won't see the Lord. If you're the person in your workplace that seeks peace, seeks restoration, wants to fix this whole thing, hey, we're all on the same team together. Let's pull together. Let's get this thing sorted out. Hey, if that's you, people get to see the Lord. You know why? Because God's all about restoration and unity. People can see the Lord in you because... It's unique. If you're selfish, self-centered, looking out for number one, sowing strife and division, guess what? You're just like everybody else. And when you do that, you hurt the cause of Christ. Keep your, uh, actually turn over to Romans chapter 12 if you would. Romans chapter 12, verse number 18. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 12, uh, I love it. I call it Paul's shotgun approach to giving good advice. If you ever read through the Proverbs, and you should, you should read through the Proverbs on a regular basis. There's so much wisdom found there. Think about it this way. The most wise man to ever walk the face of the planet outside of God himself wrote a book to his boys on how not to mess their life up. Solomon writes a letter to his boys and says, everything that I can think of that God's taught me about life and relationships, and people. I want to give you that here. And it's just a treasure trove of wisdom. But the thing about Proverbs is you get one verse on this, and the next verse is something else, and the next verse is something else, and it's tough to digest at one time. Uh, Paul gets into two periods of writing like he does here in uh, Romans chapter 12, where he just goes one thing after another after another. Uh, and in verse number uh, 9, um, I'm sorry, verse number, yeah, verse number nine, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep, be of the same mind one towards another, there's that spirit of unity again, mind not high things, but condescend to men of a low estate, be not wise in your own conceits, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men, verse number 18, circle, star it, underline it, highlight it in your Bible, 
If it be possible, as much lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. He says something critical in verse number 18. He says, here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, live peaceably with all men. He doesn't say that. He says, to the best of your ability, live peaceably with all men. You know why he gives that caveat there? Because even in Paul's day, there were people who loved drama. You know anybody like that? You have somebody like that in your extended family. Definitely not under your own, own roof for sure. But people who just always want drama. If there's no problem, they'll make up a problem. If there's no offense to be found, they'll find something to be offended about. And they just want to stir up strife. Paul says, people like that, you'll never be able to please. But love them, pray for them, take care of them. And as much as you can, live peaceably with them. On your end of the relationship, everything needs to be good. And I can say this, and with God as my witness today, there's not a single person on planet Earth that I dislike, not a person that I hate, not a person that if I saw them coming at me in the grocery store, I would turn around and go the other way. Not a single one of them because I've tried to live peaceably with people. And if I find out that somebody hates my guts or somebody doesn't like me or somebody has ill will towards me, at least I can say at the end of the day, it's not on my side because I love them like a brother or sister. And that's the idea, that's the spirit of this, is that we would have peace with other people. We're not strife sowers, we're not division creators, we're not looking for a reason to be offended. We give people grace. We just want things to be peaceable. Now, some people aren't gonna allow that to happen. They're gonna stir up strife. They're gonna stir up drama. They're gonna make accusations against you. They're gonna say that it's your fault. They're gonna drum up issues where there are no issues. And Paul says, when that happened, love them, encourage them, help them. You know what Jesus says? Pray for them that despitefully use you. Bless them that curse you. When that happens, just show them the love of God through your life. And the best that you can on your side of the relationship just live at peace with these people. Vanderlei had an issue with one of his teachers last year at school. I know it's hard to believe, right? Uh, but uh, he came home and was telling me about it. And I said, well, you, you know, you just need to go to the teacher and man-to-man -man just talk to the guy. And he said, okay. So he went man-to-man, -man, talked to the guy, and the guy just wasn't here, and it blew him off, uh, was being unkind. And so I made an appointment with the teacher to go sit down with all of us and, and talk through it. And we did. We sat down across the table and we did exactly what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18. If I got a problem with this guy, I should go to him and talk about it. That's exactly what we did. And I was resolved that if the if the situation didn't get resolved in that meeting, we're gonna call another meeting with more people until this thing got sorted. And so we sat down and we, we talked it out and everything was awesome. And uh, at the end of the, the, uh, the meeting, uh, the teacher apologized to Vanderlei and asked for forgiveness. And uh, Vanderlei apologized for the things that he had done wrong and asked for forgiveness. And uh, they hugged each other and we prayed and we, and we left. And everything was good. And then Van was just like the next day at school. He said, Dad, I'm ready. I didn't go to school. I said, don't be. I said, everything's good. I said, you know on your end of the, the, the agreement that everything's good between you and God. Everything's between, good between you and this teacher. I said, you just need to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I said, okay. And so we went to school and he came back that day. And I asked him, I said, how was school today? He goes, it was awesome. How are things with the teacher? He goes, better than they've ever been before. And we were talking about sports. We were talking about how terrible the Lakers were. And I thought, man, that would take all day just by itself to talk about that. Um, you know, no, we were talking about sports and how good things were. He goes, Dad, things were cooler between he and I than they ever have been before. 
And I thought to myself, that's what the peace of God does. It restores things. And when you restore things, you don't bring them back to the status quo. You restore things better than they were before. And that's what God wants to do with the peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. But again, that only happens when we walk in the Spirit. Next, God wants to give you peace with your circumstances. We've been talking a lot about suffering on Sunday mornings. We're, uh, we're 10 weeks deep into it. We've got uh, three more weeks to go, four more weeks to go uh, from this. Three weeks to go, uh, and we'll be done with this. We've been talking a lot about suffering. But for me, it's been encouraging me for me for people to come up to me after the service and say, hey, Pastor, what you're saying today? I saw that in my own life last year. Hey, Pastor, what you're talking about on Sunday mornings, I'm going through that right now. It's giving me a good perspective, and I just love how the, the Word of God speaks to every aspect of our life. You know, if we, if we want to talk about how God always blesses you or God always takes care of you or all, God always makes things work out in your favor, a lot of us can't identify with that. You talk about how God walks alongside with you on the worst days of your life. Every single one of us can identify with that. I've been encouraged to hear stories like that. And many people have made peace with their circumstances as a result of that. The Bible gives us the formula for finding peace in, in the midst of our circumstances. Uh, turn it over to Philippians chapter 4, if you would. Philippians chapter four, Paul challenges in verse number four. That's a verse you should circle in your Bible too. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul says, hey, praise God. Be thankful. In every way, every situation, uh, give God the glory. Give God the praise. Rejoice. And we took a look at last week how the word, the root word for that word rejoice comes from the word where we get joy from. If you know Paul's circumstances of being in prison as he wrote the book of Philippians, you'll understand that it's a, it's a unique thing for him to say while he's in prison to be thankful. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful, verse number six. The word be careful doesn't mean be careless. It means don't worry. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. So two things he tells us to do in here. If you're going through a rough spot, first of all, pray about it by all things by prayer and supplication. But then he adds a qualifier on there with thanksgiving. So if we pray and we praise God, I'm gonna take this matter to the Lord and I'm just gonna praise him for how good he's been thus far. I'm gonna praise him for victory in advance. I'm gonna praise him for his mercy, for his grace, his goodness, his faithfulness. And I'm just gonna trust God through this. You know what the Bible says will happen? Verse number seven, in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. I love, love, love verse number seven. The peace that passeth all understanding. You and I can have peace in the midst of a whirlwind, raging storm, and people are like, dude, how are you so calm? Hey, man, what's going on with you? You don't feel, seem shook by any of this that's going on. We can have a peace that people do not understand. Why? Because we prayed about it we've, and we've given it to the Lord and we praise God for it. The peace of God which passeth all understanding, here's what it says, shall keep your heart and mind. That word keep literally means to arrest or grab hold of and not let go. I love that. The peace of God takes my heart and my mind and it comes up behind it and grabs it in a big bear hug and says, you're not going anywhere. I've got this. 
That's what the peace of God does. Storms raging around me, and I'm held, bear hug tight in the peace of God. And God says, I got this. Don't sweat it. That's what happens when we have the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Where does it come from? It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Again, if I'm walking in the flesh and I'm giving in to my sinful desires and I'm, I'm walking in opposition and rebellion to the word of God, I'll never have that peace. It's predicated upon walking in the spirit and the spirit at work in me and through me. That's where I'm gonna see this peace come from. And the peace that passes all understanding shall keep a rest, grab a hold of your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Verse eight, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Because now you have the peace of God, don't worry about all the other stuff that's going on. Focus on the things that God's doing in your life that are good. There's a, a big, huge movement in the psychology back in the 80s called the power of positive thinking. I remember my mom, she, bless her heart, she's a good woman, but she didn't know a lot about the Bible. She never was discipled. She gave me a book called the power of positive thinking. It's a little booklet I was supposed to read that you're supposed to affirm how good you are and how good you feel and how everything's gonna work out in your favor and stuff like that. Great idea in theory, uh, but it doesn't hold any water biblically, unfortunately. But you know what the Bible does say? The way that you think will change the way that you act and the way that you're able to trust God. That's why it says, trust the things that are good. Trust the things that are honest. Trust the things that are of God. Focus on his word. Put your thoughts on those things, not to the storm raging around you. You've already prayed about that and you've praised God for it. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, has already arrested and grabbed a hold of your heart and mind. And it's keeping it held tight. So in the meantime, think on these things. And you're gonna have peace like you've never experienced before. Wow, God really does have this. Wow, God really is in charge. Wow, I really don't have to sweat this. Jesus even said this. How many of you by worrying about it can add one inch to your height? Anybody? Why are you worrying then? Do you think you can change your situation? You can't. If there's things that you can change, maybe you need to change those. But for the most part, when we walk through trials, it's up to God. And so the peace from our circumstances come from praise and prayer. And we need to live that way. Now, I do want to place a caveat when it comes to peace. Because peace sometimes gets a um, ignorant usage, I guess you could say. Have you ever been around somebody who you know for a fact they're making a poor decision? They might even be in sin and in rebellion to God and they say these famous words. How many of you know what I'm gonna say? You already know what I'm gonna say, don't you? Hey, I got peace about it. I just got peace. I have peace. I'm leaving my wife, but I've got peace about it. No, 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 you can't say that. I'm just dropping out of church and, and I've just, God's given me a lot of peace about that. No, you can't say that. I'm moving to a city with no Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church and I'm placing my family at great risk because I know no one there. My walk with God is incredibly fragile and I'm losing the only spiritual support system I have in my life, but I'm going to a place where I can buy a piece of land and a big house for less than $200,000 and I've got a lot of peace about that. Hmm, careful with that. <laughs> Do you remember the story of Jonah in the Bible? Jonah says, God says, go to Nineveh. He goes, nope, opposite direction, I'm going to Tarshish, right? Storms come up, seas are going nuts, 
people who don't even know God are crying out to whatever they know God to be. They're throwing stuff overboard. They're flipping out. They're crying, screaming, begging somebody somewhere to help. Where's Jonah? Remember? Where's Jonah? Help me. Sleeping on the bottom of the ship, right? Jonah had great peace about the decision he had made. Great peace. You ever thought about that? Jonah had all the peace in the world at that moment. He was taking a nap. People who don't even know God are flipping out and crying out to God to stop. Jonah had great peace. Direct rebellion, disobedience to God headed the opposite direction of where he was supposed to be, but he had great peace. I say this as a caveat. Do not allow, and I'll use air quotes here, the peace of God to be your only determining factor for life-changing decisions. Let that just be a caveat. Because when it comes to the peace of God, many times that can be, I wanna be careful the way that I use this word, subjective. Meaning, I can't explain it, I just have it. And that can be of God or that can be of the devil. Know this, the devil has the ability to manipulate your emotions and to push your buttons. Don't ever forget that. So I can't say I'm making this decision that everybody thinks is a terrible decision because I have the peace of God. That can't be your only qualifier. And I always tell people when it comes to life-changing decisions and making major life-changing decisions, your criteria that you have for making that decision, I always put emotions at the bottom of that list. I always put circumstances at the bottom of the list. And pretty far down on the list, I put the peace of God because again, that can be subjective. Up at the top, I put the Bible. <laughs> I'm thinking about leaving my spouse. <clears throat> you failed step one. <laughs> do not go further. You can't do it. Not, we're not even gonna entertain this conversation. I think I'm gonna let my kids grow up and make their own decisions about God. I'm not gonna put any pressure on them to make their own decisions. <clears throat> you violated scripture. You cannot go any further. Well, I have a lot of peace about that. Stop. You violated scripture. You can't do it. Well, you know, I, I feel like my wife does a better job of leading our house spiritually, so I'm just going to allow her to kind of take the lead on that. I'm just going to follow along with the kids. <clears throat> you violated scripture. Don't, no, she's more gifted at it. I have a lot of peace about it. We've prayed about it. We have peace. <clears throat> you violated scripture. You see what I'm saying here? You can't do it. So in your list here, scripture always is the number one, and you can't violate scripture ever under any circumstances. We found ourselves in that system in Christianity in America. Now it's beginning to spread worldwide. We have places where, well, there's not a lot of guys that are qualified to lead churches. So we have these ladies who are very gifted speakers and very gifted administrators. We'll put them in pastoral positions because we don't have a lot of guys. You violated scripture, you can't do it. And so when we look at major life-changing decisions, the word of God stands alone as our number one criteria. After that, I wanna encourage you to seek godly, wise, biblical counsel. These are from people that have walked with Jesus for decades. This is not your coworker who has a religious sticker on their water bottle, okay? I'm not talking about godly, wise, seasoned, biblical counsel, and not just one person that tells you what you want to hear. Because the Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counsel. So I want to talk to as many people as I know that love and know Jesus and have walked with him for decades to give me some guidance on this, to give me input. As a pastor, you know, one of the things that I seek from the, the older men in our church, guidance, wisdom, 
counsel. I go to, to, to lunch with guys that are a little bit further down the road from me. They're not old guys because they're young, uh, but uh, a little bit further down the road from me, and I'll ask a lot of questions. You know why? Because I didn't realize I need as much input as I can. But did you know that the devil can manipulate circumstances? Oh, pastor, this door opened wide open. I didn't ask for it. It just showed up. Are you sure that's of God? Oh, I mean, it's double the salary that I'm making right now. It must be of God, right? Yeah, because all God wants to do is make you rich. That doesn't make sense. So again, we have to have criteria that we use to make major life-changing decisions. And the peace of God is so subjective and can be so manipulated where it's not true peace. It's just uh, uh, sometimes even a quenching of the Holy Spirit. You gotta be careful with that. So I wanna challenge you uh, against allowing the peace of God to be the only determining factor when it comes to making decisions. Next, the pursuit of peace is a mark of Christian maturity. <laughs> Notice I said the pursuit of peace, not continual peace because we've already seen there's people that you just can't have peace with but the pursuit of peace. I want things to be resolved. I want us to be on the same page. I don't want want there to be any antagonism or any drama between us. I don't want there to be any schism in the church body. I want us to all be on the same page and pursuit of peace is a mark of Christian maturity. Oh, great, I got scheduled to park cars with a guy I don't like on Sunday. (laughs) That is the biggest, most spiritually immature statement I've ever heard in my life. And thankfully, I've heard it like twice here at our church. I've had the opportunity and the pleasure as your pastor to correct it on two separate occasions because we're not gonna have that here, simple as that. But the people who wanna pursue peace, hey, the last time I worked parking with this guy, he said something that didn't sit well with me. I'm either gonna give him grace and just assume that he misspoke. I'm gonna bring it up to him and get it resolved and move on. Those are my two options because peace is high on God's list of important things. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10, for he that will love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. First Peter chapter three, verse number 10. Hey, look, I, um, I learned something really early on um, in pastoring. Who he calls the first church that I've ever had the opportunity to, to, to pastor. Uh, and it's the only one by the grace of God I'll ever have to pastor. Uh, but the... Um, Early on, it was very flattering for a young new pastor. I'm still a young pastor, by the way. Um, young new pastor, for people to come to our church, it was a small church at the time, you know, 30, 40 people meeting over here where the children's uh, meet now. They'd come and they go, oh, we love it here at this church. The preaching is so good. The people are so nice. Our last church was full of a bunch of hypocrites and phonies. And it's good to see the real gospel here, man. And so I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah, and praise God for that. Tell me more, right? And it was just pride is all that it was. But you know what I realized really quickly? Those people would hang around for about three or four months and then they bounce to the next church and you know what they'd say? Exact same thing they said about the, the church we were at before. I was going to the church over there by the mall, a bunch of hypocrites and fakes and phonies. It's great to be around real good, solid preaching now. The problem is, is that I know other pastors here on the island. And they would go to other churches that are pastored by people that I know and they would say things that were negative about our church. And I realized, wait, 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 these are people who create strife where there is no strife. They create drama where there is no drama. Hey, and here's the thing. If you're gonna stay here and cause drama, by all means, please do us all a favor and leave. But I found really quickly that the people that are willing to openly talk trash about other people are willingly 
going to openly talk trash about you the first opportunity that they get. And so that's why if you hear somebody speaking gossip, be a friend to them, be a Christian brother and encourage them to take a step up in their maturity and say, hey, let's not do that. If you've got a problem with them, we should go talk to, that, to them about that. Hey, if you've got a problem with what pastor's preaching, we should probably sit down and talk with them about it. Hey, if you've got a problem with the way that you know, our, our nurseries ran, we should sit down with somebody from the church and talk about that. And that's gonna help people to take a step up. Uh, my, wife and, uh, was, my wife and I were very young in our Christian walk. I mean, like, decided to walk with Jesus like for six months to a year maybe that we're on this journey together. We were at a church um, and she was on outreach with a, another young lady, uh, both in their you know, mid-20s or so, young in their walk with Christ. And Angela came home. She said, I'm so discouraged. We went out with this girl uh, on outreach, and she said the whole time she trashed the church, the whole time she trashed pastor, uh, and she goes, I felt terrible about it. She goes, I I just don't know what to do. And she goes, and I feel awful because I listened to it. She goes, I didn't stop her. I just listened to it. I didn't join in, but I just listened to it. And she goes, I just feel awful about it. And I'm young. I'm stupid. I don't know what to tell her. And I go, you just need to grab her at church and just say, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Like, hey, what you said wasn't cool. And if you've got a problem, we need to, to talk about that with somebody. And she goes, well, I can't do that. I go, I think that's what the Bible says. I don't know. I think it's what the Bible says. And she was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And so, so she, sure enough, she's this lady at church on Wednesday night. She said it was, felt really awkward at the time. She pulled her aside and said, hey, you know what you said last night on outreach, that didn't sit well with me. And if everything's not right, maybe we should talk about this with somebody and said the girl broke down crying and said she'd been going through a lot lately and she just uh, needed to vent to somebody and she didn't feel the way that she felt she just needed to talk and it felt good in the moment but she felt terrible when she got home and she cried and asked my wife to forgive her and she went to the person that she trashed and apologized to them and it was this big huge um, cry fest with a bunch of ladies and stuff Um, I might be dramatic dramatizing this story uh, for the sake of entertainment but uh it was something like that, right? No lie, no lie. This lady, like 10 years later, found my wife and says, hey, I remember that time you pulled me to the side on a Wednesday night and told me about that. And she said, that's never left me and that changed my life. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. She goes, I was just in a bad place at that time and I let it get the best of me. And she said, but I've, I've made a conscious effort now to never be a gossip and never say things that would hurt the cause of Christ. And she goes, that conversation changed me. And I thought, man, Praise God for that. Somebody 10 years later can say, somebody confronted me to be a person of peace, to not sow strife or division or drama, to be a person of peace, and it changed their life. It's a mark of Christian maturity. Final thought here tonight, the peace of God is not based on our circumstances, but it's based on our standing with God. It's been said before that peace is not the absence of trials, but peace is the presence of God. I wholeheartedly believe that as well. Hey, look, anybody can have peace when everything's going your way. Duh. Everybody can have peace when everything's working out in your favor. That's easy. But when everything's falling apart around you and you don't have answers to the questions that are really important to you in life, where do we find peace from? It's an inner working of the Holy Spirit. It's God doing something that only God can do in your life. And peace does not have to be based on your circumstances. The same way that joy is not based upon your circumstances. Your love is not based upon your circumstances. It's based on the work of God inside of you. And if you know that everything is right between you and God, you can have peace here tonight. If you know that everything's right between you and your brother and sister, you can have peace here tonight. 
You know that everything's right between you and your spouse. You can have peace here tonight. You know that everything's right between you and your children. Peace here tonight. Everything right between you and every family member that you know of. You can have peace here tonight. Now, there's family members that I have in my life that I don't have peace with right now, but it's not from my end. I've done everything that I can to live peaceably and to show the love of Christ to them, and I just am where I am. But I can go to bed tonight with a clear conscience knowing that everything that I've done in my power to bring peace to the situation can be done, has been done. I'm telling you this, you can have peace knowing that everything's right between you and God. Now, we're gonna flip that. I'll tell you this, if things are not right between you and God and there's hidden sin in your life here tonight that you don't think that anybody knows about or that God knows about, just know that you'll never have peace. If something's not right between you and a brother or sister in this church, you're not just hurting yourself, you're hurting that person, you're hurting our church as a result of that. You got drama going on with somebody at work that's your fault and you're not willing to make it right, know this, you're not just hurting you or your workplace, you're hurting the cause of Christ. Hebrews 12 again says that it'll keep people from seeing the Lord. You got drama going on in your home. It not only affects your home, it affects our church family, it affects your family, it affects your children. You can't afford any of that. Seek peace, pursue peace, have peace, know peace. It comes from the Holy Spirit at work in your life. We take a look at the opposites of the fruit of the Spirit. The opposite of love is selfishness. The opposite of joy is dread. The opposite of peace is despair. The fact that things are bad and they'll never get better. Things are terrible and they're going to continue to get worse. It's a feeling of hopelessness. It's giving up. But it doesn't have to be that way. God's given us the tools, resources that we need to walk in the Spirit, to love Him, to serve Him, to have fruit in our life. But it all goes back. It all goes back to walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Peace can be yours if you're willing to walk in the Spirit. You want to nitpick, cause drama, cause strife, sow seeds of frustration, doubt, You'll never have that peace that you, your soul craves. And in the rockiest of times, you can have peace knowing that God's in charge, knowing that he's on the throne, that God is sovereign, that he's faithful, he's working things all together for his glory and for our good. And you can trust that. And the Bible gives us the, the way to do that. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight, you don't know for sure that you're saved. You're not 100% sure if you died today that heaven's your church home or heaven's your eternal home. You'll never in a million years ever experience the peace of God so you know for sure that you're saved. And so if you're saved, you have all the resources you have at your disposal to have peace this week. Let's walk in peace. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.